Man, it's good, isn't it? I can't tell you how much I appreciate all these guys do. I mean, you, you until it happens on the fly, you don't realize the million things that go into making Sundays happen and worship happen. And it's not just back here; it's it's it, up here. It's back in the booth, and and there's. Um, I don't know if you've heard, COVID made everything more complicated, including worship. And uh, these guys do a fantastic job. So it's interesting you highlighted that for us, uh, that, that, that little second half of that third or fourth verse, whichever that was. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die. I have the song in my notes, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. I have circled, before you said so, mild he lays his glory by. Hold on to that, we're coming back to it. I can promise you that. Christmas for most of us is a celebration. It was that way for me as a kid because, um, because you get toys. As I grew up, I realized that for a lot of us, Christmas is still a celebration because we get Toys, it's just they're different toys, more expensive toys. But I wonder if you're really celebrating Christmas this year. Of course, for some, Christmas is not all celebration. And if you are celebrating Christmas this year, it's a good reason to count your blessings. Because there are moments in life where it's difficult to celebrate. Christmas is not happy for everyone, and we at least should acknowledge that. And remember that we serve a God of all comfort, not just a God of all celebration. And so if you're needing comfort this morning, if Christmas is not all happy for you today, I would remind you that Christmas is for you as well. So I have a question. Have you ever felt like God is silent in your life? Not silent night and all that. Although we are, you know, sort of making our way through Christmas carols and uh, the, the key texts of the Bible that celebrate Christmas for us and point us to Christmas and all it is. And, and, and Christmas Eve, we are going to talk about that silent night, that holy night. I want to make sure you're here Christmas Eve, but this one's not about silent night. But are there ever moments in your life where you've cried out to God, you just feel like God is maybe nowhere to be found, that he is silent? Maybe you felt like there are moments where it seems like evil wins the day, where you're just overwhelmed because there are just no good answers for what you're feeling or what you're experiencing. Most of the time when we feel like God is silent, it's not the celebration moments, it's not the joyous moments, it's not the blessed moments. It's the difficult moments, the painful moments, sometimes the sinful moments, even the evil moments. We're talking when God is silent, or at least when we feel like God is silent. We tend to be talking about moments that break our whole, our, our souls, break our hearts. Moments where Tornadoes tear through the heartland in the middle of the night. And there are no explanations. Moments where a teenager opens fire in his high school, an experience way too common. 
in any time, in any era. Moments where a mom holds her stillborn baby, where the nurse holds the hand of a patient breathing their last, and a pandemic where family was not allowed to be by their side. Life is filled with moments that break our hearts. I know we didn't come to church to think about how heartbroken we could be or have been, but it's worth acknowledging any time we gather together that some of us are in the middle of that heartbreak at any given time. In fact, many people have walked away from God because of moments where they felt what they thought was the silence of God. I want to look one more time this morning at the Christmas story, and I want to ask ourselves again, is heaven really silent? Because God is doing something in all the brokenness of our world, all the sin of our world, all the pain of our world, all the death in our world, all the brutal ugliness of our world. Christmas. Christmas is God's answer to all of that. Look with me, Luke chapter 2. You know the story well, probably. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. In those days... Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. And so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem to the town of David because he belonged to the house in the line of David. That must not have been an easy journey, you would think, right? Pregnant, fully pregnant. This is no easy journey at all. While they were there, uh, I skipped a line. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and she wrapped him in cloths and she placed him in a manger because there was no room in the end. I don't know how old I was, but I was quite old. Of course, I'm quite old now, right? I was quite old the day I realized that, I don't know, when I was a kid, I wasn't raised in church. So mangers, I, I don't know why I misunderstood the word manger, but for the longest time when I was a kid, I thought manger meant stable. Because you always picture the, the manger scene with the whole thing. That's what I thought it I didn't know it meant feeding trough. Let me ask it this way. Have you ever heard of the birth of a king, the, the king of England, the, the king of, uh, of, of a country in, in Africa or Asia or anywhere else around the planet, and they're born king, and they're placed in a feeding trough surrounded by animals? You ever heard such a story? Yeah, me neither. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. It literally says they feared a great fear. 
But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, fear not. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Now you do realize probably, but angels are not all, you know, one. Angels are not our loved ones who have died and gone to heaven. Two, angels are not all cherubs, little babies with wings that float around on clouds. And three, there are angels with wings, seraphim and the like, but I don't think that's necessarily all angels. So we don't know what this angel looked like, but it looked like whatever it looked like enough that they were terrified. Of course, if you were out with the sheep in a long, dark night, and it's a little spooky out, a little cold out, maybe a little warm out, I don't know. The skies light up all of a sudden. You might freak out a little bit too. Today, this is the message of the angels. And by the way, one other thing you should know about angels is what they are. Literally, you could translate the word angel messenger. They are always sent with a message. In fact, in a sense... You and I are sent with a message as well, aren't we? You could say, in a sense, we're all angels. Don't take that too far. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in the manger. So an angel showed up and gave the message of Christmas that today a Savior has been born to you. Right? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. He is Christ the Lord. An angel shows up with this message. And I just want you to catch that angels are sent. That begs the question, who are they sent by? I think it's probably fairly natural to figure out that if angels are of the heavenly realm, then they're sent by the one who rules heaven, who is God. Which means God was not silent at the birth of Jesus, or at least after Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God. So, so at this point, the skies are filled with angels. We don't know the number, but it says a great company of the heavenly host. We'll explain that a little better in a minute. They appeared praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven. And on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. And of course, the story ends when the angels had left them and gone into heaven. The shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Catch that at the end. The Lord has told us about. Not that the angels have told us about. They properly understood that angels are sent by someone else, specifically the Lord God in this case. And so they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And it goes on. They spread the word, and, and everybody was amazed. And Mary treasured up and pondered these things deep in her soul. And we'll come back to that part of the text on Christmas Eve. But I just want you to see right up front that God sent and Now, fill this in if you're taking notes today, if you want to take notes with us. God sent an army of angels to make a proclamation of peace. An army of angels... Right? The phrase here is that there was a great company of the heavenly host. Underneath that language is, frankly, that's why I call it an army, military-like language. 
God didn't just send a whole lot of angels. God sent an army of angels in militant array to make this proclamation, this announcement of peace. Now, many of you have served. I did not. I, I, I would not have been qualified. Too many things wrong with me. And if you've served, thank you. But you would know often in the army, right, we'll think about like, you know, Charlie Company or, right, again, this language is here a little bit if we just read it. A great company of the heavenly host. There is, there is militant or army-like language here. And it gives us this great surprise because Really what this is hinting at is that the angels could have been sent for not so peaceful reasons. And if you've ever garnished yourself in your heart, you've ever found yourself so sick of our world, so sick of of your perception that God is silent, so sick of those things I began with, the things that break our hearts and souls that happen in the life of everyday Americans and everyday people around the world. If you've ever looked at all of that, you certainly have wondered to yourself at times, wow, why doesn't God just, you know, just like throw a cosmic bowling ball and just the whole thing? And certainly you've gotten so sickened with yourself at some point in the equation of your life that you have thought the same thing about you. That acknowledgement is the acknowledgement that everything about us has fallen short. That's actually acknowledging what the Bible has actually said when it says things like, like all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This passage, this text really is, Christmas really is about the glory of God. But we're the ones who fall short. It reminds me, this whole angel sort of militant array thing, it reminds me of another story in the Bible. You might remember when Jesus was arrested. He was arrested on his way to crucifixion. He was arrested. They expected it to be ugly. Some of his disciples expected it to be ugly. They didn't expect, the disciples didn't expect him to be arrested. But you remember, those who are arresting him come, right? And, and they're there to arrest him. And Judas is leading them. And Jesus is asking, or, you know, what is it you're coming to do? And there's a moment where one of the disciples takes out the, the sword or the knife and he lops off the ear of one of the people. You, you remember this story, right? There's that whole like lopping off the ear thing and Jesus says, no, 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 that's, that's not what we're here for. Picks the ear up off the ground, puts it back on the servant that had the ear lopped off and literally just, you know, like, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how that works. But ear was healed. In that exact moment, when they're expecting, in a sense, everything to go to battle over whether Jesus would be arrested, Jesus says something super interesting. He is basically surrendering to this. In a lot of senses, you should understand, he chose the cross. Yes, it was done to him, but he chose it. It's actually why he was born. For unto us is born this day in the city of David a Savior. So in that moment where Jesus is arrested, this is Jesus' reply. Matthew 26, verse 53. Do you not think I cannot call on my Father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? 
A legion was 6,000 soldiers. 72,000 angels. Do you think that God would not or could not do that if he didn't so want? That gives me context for a multitude of the heavenly hosts. No wonder the guys were freaked out that night. Of course, their message, do not be afraid. Today I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. For all the people. Let's be clear here. Not just for the Jewish people, for all the people. That was a huge struggle in those times. Read the book of Acts and see about the early church and how they struggled with for all the people. Are you sure we get that? I hope so. Nobody should be kept from these doors and nobody should be kept for this message. And this is not a people of one background or one nation or for that matter, one race or one ethnicity. This is grace for all the people. For today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. It's interesting to me because heavens exploded on behalf of God the night of Christmas. And they exploded on behalf of those who were not celebrating. Because you might remember, he's born in a a cave, a stable, a, a something. He is placed in a manger and almost nobody shows up except the shepherds nobody's paying attention but heaven was and god sends an army of angels to make a proclamation of peace you don't typically expect the army to show up in order to say peace be with you but the angels and all of their <laughs> all of their Great company of heavenly hosts. Their message is glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his blessing, his favor, his grace rests. So you can say what you want about Christmas. Christmas is God's answer for all that breaks our souls. And all that breaks our hearts. And this is really the one thing I'm trying to convince us of today. That when heaven is silent. Or when it seems rather that heaven is silent. I want you to read the Christmas story again. And this might not be. The moment for you might happen in a July. It might happen in an August. It might happen in a March. You do know you're allowed to read the Christmas story. Some of you sing Christmas carols all year long. You know who you are. This is not a bad thing. Read the Christmas story again to see that God has already spoken about what breaks our hearts and His. Christmas is God's answer to all that breaks our hearts. God has already spoken about our sin, already spoken about our brokenness, already spoken about our pain. And you can say what you want about God. And you can say what you want about Christmas. But you cannot say that Christmas means that God doesn't care. You cannot say that Christmas means that God stayed away. 
You cannot say that Christmas means that God isn't aware of the brokenness in our world or that God is somehow immune to it. You can't say that God isn't willing to do whatever it takes to make peace. You can't say that God isn't willing to go to great lengths, greater lengths than you and I would ever go to, to end the sin and brokenness and pain in our world. And you cannot say that God isn't willing to endure the ultimate pain in order to show the ultimate love or cross the ultimate divide to solve our world's ultimate problems. This text has a sort of structure to it. When I read it, there is a message that the angel himself, the the one angel brought, this is what you need to know. And then after what you need to know, there is the response of the heavens that points us to how we too should respond. And if I knew what heaven knew, man, I think I'd give great glory to God too. If I knew what heaven knew, I would understand that God is not silent and that celebration moments can follow grief moments. And I don't mean to, din- to minimize our grief when we feel it. But we can still come back to praise and glory. Honestly, there have been, <laughs> along the way of my life and my ministry, a few funerals I've been a part of that were just flat-out praise and glory worship services. It is possible to both grieve and praise in the same breath. But you do realize what this is saying. This is saying that Jesus was born with a purpose, that as it was announced to the shepherds, To be our Savior, there was a plan already in play. Long before the manger, the plan was in play. You can read the Old Testament and find a near billion things that tell us what is to come. If you don't believe me, or if you think this is all made up, read Isaiah chapter 53 sometime. Read Isaiah 61 sometime. It's, it's, It's all there. all there there's one interesting thing i want to note and then i guess i'll move through the rest of the outline we can flip our pages over make sure that that we keep this moving the heavens exploded at the birth of christ but you might remember when jesus hung on the cross it says that he said into your hands i commit my spirit and he breathed his last and and and, and there were moments in the crucifixion where where, where the earth shook you remember this? I mean, there's actually something about the earth shaking and some tombs breaking open and holy people of old coming back to life. I mean, it, it just, it, 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 the earth shook. There were no angels filling the skies that day. Heaven was silent at the cross. But heaven explodes at Christmas to make sure we don't miss That today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. Has it become personal to you? Has there ever been a moment in your life where you said, that Savior, that one, that, 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 that one, 
the baby in the manger, the one who grew up and hung on a cross, that that was for me. Because if you've ever reached that place at that moment in your life, you too can respond as the angels of heaven and say, glory to God in the highest. Because God made peace not just with earth, but with me. I can have the peace of God because I have peace with God. You know, at Christmas, we get this sense that heaven meets earth, right? That the veil between heaven and earth is sort of thin and torn away. And somehow the shepherds are able to see heaven, that they're able to see the angels in heaven praising God. And at the same time, Christmas is God becoming man. That the Son of God is the creator of all, somehow enters his creation, comes to earth so that grace could come to you and me. And if you need that grace, if you need that forgiveness, like, man, let's make that today. Why wait? I'm not a sales guy, right? I am not a stand here and like sing for 10 hours and try to plead with you. I'm not that. I am not a used car salesman. I'm not trying to sell you something. I'm telling you what has changed my life forever, that I can see the silent, broken moments, the crushing, heart, soul, broken moments differently because I have received the Savior broken for all of us. And I would plead with you, man, make that personal today. So what must I know? Well, let's be clear. Luke 2.14, God alone deserves to be high. Nobody's laughing. This is Eugene. I wrote this and I thought I shouldn't say it that way. And then I thought, no, that's what I want to say. It's just not what you hear is probably not what I mean. God alone deserves to be high. There's no reference here to that little waft of smell you smell all over Oregon these days. That's not the high I'm talking about. Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. God alone deserves to be high. He deserves to be lifted up. He deserves to be exalted. He, he deserves to be... I, I think about all the moments in our earthly world where, where what we do is we sort of throw ourselves up in the air. We sort of try to, you know, we're, we're, we're always trying to cheer ourselves up to some place that we think we alone deserve to be high. Somehow above the crowd, we want to rise above. There's another experience in the Bible, again, prophet Isaiah. Isaiah says, Isaiah 6, he says, In the year that King Uzziah died, which would have been a broken moment for him, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne. Catch it. I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne. The train of his robe filled the temple, and above him were seraphim, each with six wings. This is where we get the winged angels thing from. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. In other words, they could not see or handle seeing the glory of God. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. And the whole earth is full of his glory. God alone deserves to be high and holy. 
What must I know? Number two, that grace really is good news. Grace really is good news, right? Luke 2, verse 11, the angel said, verse 10 rather, Do not be afraid, fear not. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Good news, great joy, all the people. This is about grace. This is about grace. Grace, of course, is by very definition that which is undeserved. Mercy, this is worth distinguishing, mercy is when God says you deserve punishment and I'm not going to give it to you. Grace is when God says you don't deserve anything and I'm going to bless you anyway. Mercy being one of the evidences of grace. But only one. Forgiveness, obviously, but all kinds of blessing. His presence, his person, obviously his sacrifice. Everything about what Jesus did, everything about for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Everything about that is pure grace. I deserve none of it. And that really is good news. Like, like wow. See, heaven really isn't silent at Christmas. What does this mean? What must I know? Well, God alone deserves to be high. I don't. Grace really is good news, and I need to know that peace, number three, finally, will be possible, even probable. In fact, it's guaranteed if you read the end of the book, but we're going to have to get to the end of the story, the end of the earthly story, for there to be real, true peace on earth. But it begins here. Why can it happen here at the end of the book? Because of what happens here in the middle of the book. Why can it happen at the end of time? Because of what happened in the middle of time. That peace finally will be possible. Peace on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. God sent an army of angels to make a proclamation of peace. And I need to know that peace with God can finally happen. And if that's you, it can happen today. In just a couple of minutes, we're going to pray. You say, well, we got one more to do. Yeah, we're not going to leave it open. But we are going to pray before we're done today. And when we pray, you can make peace with God. Make it better said, you can receive the peace of God. And receive peace with God based on what Jesus has done with his life. So how should I respond? Well, I think number one, I should give Jesus all the glory. If God alone deserves to be high and Jesus is 100% God in the flesh. And I mean, don't get too much caught up in the weeds. I know it's confusing how God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right? God, the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Father. Right, the Father is not the Spirit. The Spirit is it, it, that all gets a little complicated. I realize that, but trust this: Jesus is that baby lying in a manger, a hundred percent God and a hundred percent human. And if you completely, totally understand that, like eh, psh, no big deal, I've, I've got that. I, I know how to explain it. My mind, whatever. I mean, there's depths of theology around this stuff. That's called hypostatic union. I don't think you want me to go there. I, I, I wrote papers about this kind of stuff back in the day. It's mind-boggling to try, try to wrap your mind around. 
how you can be God and human at the same time. But the reality is Jesus alone or God alone deserves all the glory. And so I should give God glory all the time. You think it goes without saying that that means not just on Sundays? You know, like Fridays when you're hanging out, or like Mondays when you want to curse work, or the reason we have to work at all. That's actually in here too, and we don't have time for that. Give Jesus all glory. Number two, I think, how should I respond? I receive grace and peace. This is what I'm pleading with you today about. If you're online, I'm pleading with you as well. Will you receive grace and peace today? You say, but I don't deserve grace and peace. I haven't done anything. that's, That's just the point. You don't deserve grace and peace. But Jesus came on a peace mission. And he laid down his life in all grace. So straight up, I'm asking you, Hey, when I was a kid, I was so excited because Christmas was about gifts. Have you received the gift of Christmas? The gift of Christmas. Have you? Now that manger he was placed in as a baby points me to that cross he would later hang on and that empty tomb that would be left behind, that would prove that he's conquered it all, all the things that break our hearts and souls. So I should give Jesus all glory. That's how I should respond. I should receive grace and peace. That's how I should respond. Number three, if I'm going to receive grace and peace, this this also probably goes without saying, because you guys are really smart. You connect the dots pretty easily on this. But if I'm going to receive grace and peace, I've also got to be willing to offer grace and peace to people who don't deserve it. I'm going to go out on a limb here and trust that there's someone in your life who needs a whole lot of grace. Anybody besides me? Now, often, to be fair, that someone is you. But there are other people who need a whole lot of grace, right? And aren't we in a season where we're about to hang out for a while with people who need a whole lot of grace, you know? Because it's family that needs a whole lot of grace. It's all the extra work people that need a whole lot of grace. It's, it's, it's. It's friends that need a whole lot of grace, and it's not just friends. It's enemies that need a whole lot of grace. It's it's the people that just get under our skin that we can't stand. If I'm going to receive grace and peace, I think it goes without saying that Jesus, you know, if peace is going to come to the world, you and I are going to have to get better at giving it away. Offer grace and peace to people who don't deserve it. In fact, we're never closer to God than when we find a new way to build bridges of reconciliation towards those who have most deeply wounded us because that's what God was doing in the Christmas story. And nothing proves more about what we believe about God than whether the Christian community is forgiving people. Gang, I don't know if you know this, but if you watch the news these days, that's not exactly what we're known for right now. But let's make that what Harvest is known for. You with me? Yeah. There's got to be a moment in there you go, wait, 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 wait. They don't deserve it. Exactly. We don't. That's why it's called grace. 
Which leads me to one last thing. And you, okay, please, please bear with me. This is what we do. We fill in the last blanks, and then we do the magic move. Boom! You know the magic move, don't you? It means Brian is done. Yeah, hallelujah. I want you to fill in the blank. And I want you to avoid the magic move because you might want to write something else down. Okay? So just not this. Just fill in the blank. You with me? All right. So the next blanks, here they are. How do I respond? How do the angels respond? How should I respond? I wrote in my notes the word stoop. Not like Bob Stoops. Stoop. Singular. I should respond by embracing servanthood as my way of life. Servanthood. And to honor the birth of Christ, the mightiest way I could do that is to do it His way. Right? As Philippians reminds us, it's very clear that Jesus stooped to become human. Philippians 2, right? Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That Jesus steps down and down and down. Christmas is the story of God stooping. Philippians, of course, reminds us that we to do the same. Because just prior to those verses, there's all these verses that say this, basically. Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, his love specifically. Being one in spirit, one in mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Do nothing out of vain conceit. In humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. It's telling us that he embraced a life of servanthood and sacrifice, and that was, of course, what would save our souls, but it also is the way of the future for you and I. Anybody been to Bethlehem? Any, anybody? Some of you probably traveled the world. Yeah. Yeah. You've been to the Church of the Nativity? Yeah, so you would know this if you've been to the Church of the Nativity. I never have, but I would love to. They, they believe they have found it. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, right? And there's the whole thing about how he's placed in the manger. And from that, we extract that he was likely placed in a stable. And we always picture barn, but that is not at all what they would have pictured it as. It, it likely was a cave that was that was perhaps underneath the place, and that that's where the animals were kept and was sort of protected and warm for them. And, and, and that's where he was placed in the manger. And, 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 the, and the church of history, the ancient church, believes they know the place, the cave, and Bethlehem. And so they've built the church of the nativity sits all above this cave. And you can visit it when you visit Israel. Now, you cannot visit there today. I saw this morning that a ton of countries, America included, are on a no-travel list to Israel, pandemically involved. But 
in that day in the future, somewhere down the road, if you ever make your way to the church of the nativity, there's this interesting thing that happens. It's a large cathedral. You would expect that. It's actually considered to be, perhaps at least, the oldest church building in the world. It's built in the time of Constantine, rebuilt a time after that. It is worshipped in different Denominations worship there, the, the Greek Orthodox worship there, the Catholic Church worships there. But to get into the Church of the Nativity, they have a door that's about this high. I'm this high. They built that door that way because in the ancient, uh, more ancient times, not, not the time of Jesus, but you know the Crusades and things of that nature, uh, warring times, People would ride in. They had great doors. People would ride in on their horses, carry in wagons, load up stuff from the church, and ride it right back out. And they said, we can solve that. And they lowered the doors to about three feet, almost three feet, 3.9 feet, I think it is. It's, it's almost four feet, but not quite. And so to get into the door of the church of the nativity, do you know what you have to do? You have to stoop. You don't have to get on your knees, but you do have to stoop. And then when you get inside the Church of the Nativity to see the place they believe Christ was born. And, you know, I can't promise you that that's exactly it. I mean, if you look, travel Europe, travel, travel the Middle East, what you're going to find are all these religious places that at least supposedly. I can't prove any of the traditions associated with any of that. But if you go to the Church of the Nativity, you're going to stoop to go in the door. And they're going to see, you're going to see the altar and the beauty of all of it. But you can't. To see the place, you have to go down the stairs. I don't think this is accidental. You have to go down the stairs, lower yourself. And then you're going to come into a little room where this little cave is, and there's a spot on the floor where there's this little, little hollowed-out spot about so high, and there's a, a star down there in the bottom of it. And you actually, if it's allowed in the moment of your tour, some are allowed to actually go down and touch the spot or kiss the spot. Or, but the only way to physically do that is down on your knees. Down, down, down. I don't think this is accidental. Today, a small cave outside Bethlehem marks the supposed birthplace of Jesus. It has an entryway so low you can't go in standing up. You have to stoop. And I think the same is true of Christianity today. You can see the world standing tall, but to witness the Savior, this is from Max Licato, to witness the Savior, you're going to have to get down on your knees. And what a privilege it is that we can come to him, our creator, our God, through his son. Rick Warren has said once that serving is so contrary to the world's idea of greatness that we, even as Christians, have a hard time understanding it, much less practicing it. You might remember that the disciples argued about who deserved the most prominent position. And 2,000 years later, Christian leaders still jockey for position and prominence in churches and religious organizations around the world. Everyone wants to lead. No one wants to be a servant. In a sense, a lot of us would rather be generals than privates. Even as Christians, we want to be servant leaders, not just plain servants, Rick Warren said. But to be like Jesus is to be a servant because that's what he called himself. I'm going to give you one more quote, a bit of a song, and we're going to pray and go home. Is that good? Actually, we're going to pray and sing. 
Dietrich Bonhoeffer once wrote, who among us will celebrate Christmas correctly? The answer, whoever finally lays down all power, lays down all honor, lays down all reputation, all vanity, all arrogance, all individualism, lays it all down beside the manger. Whoever remains lowly and lets God alone be high, whoever looks at the child in the manger and sees the glory of God precisely in his lowliness, And remembers that's why he came. And that's to be the way of life for you and I. Heaven, the heavens exploded at Christmas. You might know the song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, right? Glory to the newborn king. This is what we sing about. Like Rachel said, we just got to tune into the words. Hail the heaven-born prince of peace. Hail the son of righteousness. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Here it is. Mild he lays his glory by. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons, and may we extend daughters of earth. Sons, plural, to, you know, all of us. Born to give them second birth. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Have you heard the angels sing? Read the Christmas story one more time and remember, God is not silent. So we always end with two prayers. First, a prayer of salvation. Second, a prayer of application. If you need Jesus today, if you need grace today, if you need forgiveness today, you want to make peace with God today, have God make peace with you today, this is that moment. Where you just reach out to God in prayer. And you can pray with me. Online, you can do it as well. You can pray with me. Pray just like this. Dear Jesus, I don't deserve you or anything you offer. But I'm asking to receive your peace. To receive your grace. To receive your forgiveness. Jesus, I ask that you forgive my sins. I put my faith in you. And I ask you to be my God. I ask you to take over my life. And make me like you, Jesus. I pray in your name. You know, the miracle of all miracles is that when we ask just like that, he does. And man, we'd love to know it and celebrate it. We do celebrate that, man. We celebrate big. We'd love to talk with you about what that means and how we do that. We'd love to give you a Bible, talk about what it means to be a Christian. If you want, you let us know. We'd love to know. You can tell me on the communication card. You can tell me online on the digital communication card. You can tap me on the shoulder outside. You can, you can tell someone who invited you. Right, you can email me. I'm Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at harvestchurchugene.com. But tell someone, please. A lot of you prayed that prayer a year, two, five, ten, maybe a few decades ago. If you need to freshen this up in your own soul, and I know I do, I bet you do too, maybe you'd pray with me as well. Would you, this prayer of application? Everybody, you pray it? All right, let's pray it together. Dear Jesus. Thank you 
that in the face of all the suffering and sin in our world, you are not silent. Thank you for becoming one of us, for entering our world, for dying on our behalf. Thank you for your willingness to do whatever it took to make peace with me. So today I commit to this, that you would be the highest in my life and receive all glory. The grace and peace would not only transform my heart, but my relationship with everyone else. That your life of stooping down, that your life of servanthood will become my way of life. I commit to this today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I hope you prayed that. I hope you meant it. I'm so glad you're celebrating Christmas with us. We're going to sing some more, right? All right. All right. So as you stand, I just for us to sing. I just want to remind you, I'll be outside. Remember those communication cards. Remember your giving, giving boxes in the back back there. I love you guys. Merry Christmas. Let's stand this.